if we're truly wanting to put the client in the center, then we have to look at experience first. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, who believes there is no better time than now to educate and empower financial brands to gain a fresh perspective around future growth opportunities. That's why today's episode is part of the New Starts Now series, brought to you by Nimbus, who offers a complete set of tech, tools, and services, all designed and engineered to empower you and your financial brand to maximize your future growth potential. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 143rd episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the New Starts Now series and features a fireside chat conversation that I facilitated framed around small business growth opportunities for financial brands, more specifically how you, the dear listener, can create value for SMBs by transforming the financial experience. Now, this is a passion topic of mine, which is empowering and elevating small businesses because I do believe SMBs, small businesses, are the backbone of our local economies rooted deep within our local communities. In fact, I predicted all the way back in episode number 55, which was my top 12 growth trends for banks and credit unions in 2021, that the SMB market would be a tremendous growth opportunity for financial brands to capture over the next 36 months. This was my second of 12 predictions that I make every year. And so far, from the trends that I'm seeing in the marketplace for 2021, both from banks and credit unions, as well as from fintechs, this prediction is coming true. You see, small business is an ever-growing market opportunity for financial brands and fintechs to capture, as there were half a million new businesses started in January of 2021 alone, according to a study from Salesforce. And I predict we will continue to see this trend of small business growth continue as the barriers to entry, the barriers to start a new business have never been lower. The problem, however, especially for incumbent financial brands, is there are now over 150 different fintechs competing for the attention, the eyeballs, the deposits, the loans of small business owners. And, and this really creates a tremendous amount of choice in the marketplace, and, and that choice is leading to a tremendous amount of complexity and even confusion for small business owners. Who do they choose? Where do they turn for help? Who should they trust? Will they turn to you, your financial brand, your bank, your credit union, your fintech startup, or will it be someone else like a Square or a PayPal, maybe even a QuickBooks, just to name a few? The good news for you is that new starts now, and now is the time to cut through the noise with marketing and sales and growth strategies that put the transformation of people, in this particular case, the transformation of small business owners, over the commoditized transaction of dollars and cents. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a glass of wine, craft your favorite cocktail, And get ready to join me for a fantastic fireside chat conversation with three very smart, three very passionate people, including Renee Newman, who is an accomplished financial services executive and board member, Derek Sutton, who is the VP of marketing at AutoBooks, and Corey LeBlanc, who is the co-founder at Locality Bank. And if you'd like to watch this conversation unfold instead of just listening to it, 
You can always hop over to nimbus.com forward slash SMB Fireside. That is nimbus.com forward slash SMB Fireside. Greetings and hello. My name is James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to the New Starts Now series brought to you by Nimbus. Specifically today, we're going to be talking about small business. It's a $370 billion opportunity for financial brands not to compete with fintech but to collaborate with fintech and because we're talking about small business i'd like to thank the east austin hotel for their hospitality for welcoming us in and say so studios out of orlando for filming today's discussion joining me today is renee newman an accomplished financial services professional and board member i'd also like to welcome derek sutton vp of marketing from autobooks and finally corey leblanc co-founder at Locality Bank. And as we begin today's conversation and discussion, I'd like to hear some stories, some stories, hope, inspiration from small business leaders that you've talked with, that you've worked with, that you've interviewed over the last 12 to 18 months, because what a challenging 12 to 18 months this has been. And when you think about small business and the importance, they are the backbone of the American economy. They they create over half of the jobs in the United States. What have been some of these stories of hope and inspiration? Derek, let's start with you today. Yeah, so you know, at AutoBooks, we talk to a lot of business owners and we make that a priority. Uh, we wanna hear from the front lines and the stories you hear are amazing. So as we all know, small businesses are resilient. That's the, that's the number one redeeming quality. And so you hear these stories of transition where I have a business, and traditionally, I'm going on site or into somebody's home to conduct a business. So there's a, um, an educational uh, company that we work with, and they help kids with reading disorders. And they used to go in home and meet with the kiddos and the parents, and they would do a little curriculum around um, you know, helping the kid learn how to read. Well, with COVID, that got broken. And so they had to be resilient. And the way that they adapted was they started virtual training and virtual learning sessions, but then their payment mechanism broke yes. right out of that. And so their cash flow cycle started to extend. And the great thing is, is their bank happened to be partnered with us and was able to deploy a digital receivable solution. So now the business was able to quickly pivot, maintain their cash flow and get paid by the parents. They've now pivoted uh, most of their sessions to virtual now and they found the efficiencies in that. But we're hearing stories like that all the time about how businesses have just found a way, you know, which is great. And I think that's the key. It's the resiliency. It's the dedication. It's it's wanting to create a bigger and better, brighter future. As you're starting Locality Bank, Corey, what 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 are you seeing? What are you hearing over these these conversations with yeah. small business owners? Yeah. So same thing with Derek, right? We're hearing a lot of resiliency from the small businesses coming out of that. But one of the frustrations that they have is on the financial side of things. How do they continue to run their business effectively, right? So they're really kind of looking for help, right? On the backside, it's, I mean, we had a conversation with a, a buddy of mine who runs a, a startup tech company out of New Orleans, and they kind of, it's called Rent Check. And what they do is they basically settle between the renter and the rentee mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, initial payment, right? To say, okay, well, at the end of my, my lease, I'm going to go back and say, hey, I, the house was as it was, right? Well, if it, the renter doesn't agree with the rentee, you have a digital timestamp of it. And he was creating this business, and he was telling me, look, I'm pre-revenue. I'm trying to figure out what this model is going to look like. And I had to hire a fractional CFO just to help me manage my business. He's like, I've ran two businesses already before. My co-founder was you know, a, a Naval Academy grad. He's an Academy grad. And they still couldn't figure out how to balance 
the, the difference between their bank account and their Stripe account and the, you know, the squares and all these other pieces. So as Derek was pointing out, they're, they're trying to figure out ways to get those things orchestrated. And when I think and hear that story, uh, and I'm working at a financial brand, I'm working at a fintech, one of the opportunities is small business is looking for two things. They're looking obviously for help but I think the other thing is they're looking for some hope. They're looking that someone is going to be there to guide me on this journey beyond, to your point, these questions and concerns. Renee, when, when you think back over these past 12 to 18 months of working through this, what we'll call the COVID experience, what have been the biggest trends, the biggest patterns that you've seen unfold for small business in relationship to financial brands, in relationship to fintech, um, w when it comes to offering help, when it comes to offering hope? So for, for me, it's all about that human connection and the humanness. And I think what we all discovered and found is that human contact still matters. And that um, as a financial brand, it's important to place yourself as a trusted advisor. Yes. And the, the process was so complicated and convoluted and when we positioned our bankers to be there and to provide help and hope, and we tried to take care of the technology on the backside to automate and make it easier, we found that we could magnify those moments that matter. You talk about humanizing the digital experience, if you will. As you're starting up locality, how important will, we'll call it humanity, play into this overall experience here? It's huge. It's the whole reason why locality is going to be a bank, right? And so we could have easily came at this and said, let's go build a tech company or financial services tech company off of another bank charter and let's just roll this thing out nationally. Let's try to hit this thing big. Let's find a specific segment that we can go maybe in payments, maybe in lending or something where we can create those efficiencies and humanize this part and go sell that to banks. But then we started asking ourselves, was like, you know, well, where's the problem though? So we start to look at the communities and the businesses that operate out of there. Where are the difficulties for them, right? And that's the piece that's missing is we talk about these technologies and we talk about personalization, but we don't talk about personal, right? right. And so for us is how do you take people who understand the market, understand the difficulties and can work with those businesses when needed, but when not needed, you still have the digital capability and everything in place that they can self-serve and they can get to point from point A to point B as fast as possible. But also, again, have that guy, that steward, right? That fundamental purpose that banks exist. So when you think about the small business competitive threats today, you, as you mentioned before, there's Square coming in, um, diving deeper, there's PayPal, there's QuickBooks, there's a lot of complexity. As a small business owner myself, I think, well, what do I need to choose? How does all of this fit and work together? But also as a financial brand, it's death by a thousand cuts. Um, it's a very slow bleed of the relationship. So Derek, what are the big competitive threats that financial brands and fintech also need to be aware of as we face them today? Sure. I, so I, I would just kind of boil it down to this. Whenever the world went digital, um, the way that businesses deposited money changed mm. fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, financial institutions weren't prepared for that. Yes. And uh, large fintech and now fintech newly bank with Square were. And they were leading with digital receivables. They made it very simple for businesses to onboard in minutes and start accepting payments. And I haven't met a business yet that doesn't need to accept money. And so whenever the cycle got broken of in community, accepting cash and check, taking it to a physical location to get access to operating capital, when that broke, 
they had to go, it's like water going to the lowest point. Businesses right. are gonna go find a way to get paid. And those were the outlets for that. And there was an acceleration of account creation services as part of those receivables companies. So Square adding a bank account. Um, Shopify quickly came to market yes. and said, hey, we're now a business bank. Wave, uh, QuickBooks online as well. And so they all found the opportunity. And they've done what um, Clayton Christensen would call in Innovator's Dilemma, they've unlocked non-consumption. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of non-consumption of merchant services taking place inside of uh, the financial system, and they've unlocked that. And now they're creating a flywheel of other banking products that are slowly and, and now more rapidly displacing services at a traditional financial institution. It's interesting that you mentioned Shopify and how that is an online e-commerce company helping small businesses get started selling, you know, getting those receivables, and now they're offering banking sure. services. When you think about that, what, a, Renee, from a relationship standpoint, is it even possible for a small business owner to have that human connection, that human relationship with a Shopify, with a PayPal, with um, any of these other competitors, or or is there an opportunity for, you know what, we can bridge the best of both worlds. What does that look like to you? So I really think that hybrid approach is, right. is the sweet spot, if you will. Um, there are statistics that have shown that through the PPP process that those fintech companies didn't have as great as client satisfaction. And I think that's where the humanness comes yes. into play. So you need to find an opportunity or a way to, to bridge that gap. Um, business owners have more options now than ever. And you know when push comes to shove and they need to get something done, it's, it's not difficult to switch. It's downloading an app on your phone, right. right? So we have to figure out how we make that happen. And if the value you can add as a relationship banker in that is helping that business owner tie that all together, that's huge. Yes. What have you seen from a relationship transformation over the last 12 to 18 months, Corey? Yeah, so I got a story, actually. I was sitting down with a buddy of mine the other day, just went into his shop. He's my tattoo artist. He's run a business for quite some time. And I mean, he's had a lot of success, right? But I wanted to ask him, I was like, look, if anyone's gonna know this, it's my buddy, Joey, right? What is the problems that you have running your business? Like, what are you using? How do you function? And this guy is, I mean, not technical at all. He, he's very archaic in the way that he ran his business. He does have Square. He started accepting credit cards not too long ago, but before that, he was just all in cash, right? When I first started working with him. And I was talking to him, and he said, well, look, I don't really know anything about the banking technology stuff. And he doesn't even know the word FinTech, right? He right. doesn't understand. He was like, so I don't really know how to tell you to make this better, right? So you tell me what you're doing, and I'll tell you if that makes sense. I said, well, well, who are you using? So are you using the local bank, which I know he has a relationship? Are you using the big bank, you know, the national bank that I know he has a relationship? Like, which one is your primary bank? Who are you going? He's like, well, I kind of just use Square. He was like, I start using it for my, my lending, and we were talking about this last night. It, it, what he does is he's like, I can go get loan, right? This amount of money, this capital for me to run my business, yep. same day. Yep. And then I pay it back, and when I don't need it anymore, I still have everything, all those receivables, all that information in there, and I can kind of run my business. He's like, it helps me know the things I really don't know. Yes. And he's like, that, that's huge for me. And the fact that he, right, is running on Square totally kills this idea that you have these digital natives out there that are going to start to adopt these things and move forward, and then you also have these more traditional people who want to sit in these traditional institutions. So what we're seeing, right, in the conversations is that 
again, these businesses are having to figure out how to run their companies. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, you do want that personal element. They want that personal element. However, what's most important is efficiency. It's running that business day to day. So if you don't have that with the personal, they're going to go take the efficiency. Well, what I would say is, um, but what your buddy is experiencing, that is personal to him. Yeah. And yeah. although it's completely digital, it's his personal finances, it's his family, it's, it's running his business. And so oftentimes digital gets a bit of a bad rap because the customer actually thinks that's great personal service, right? Mm -hmm. So who's the Amazon rep that you've ever met? Pers right. But we all think they have great service. Right. But it's all digital. Well, so and there, I think there's the, that disconnect. And I think that's the key. Service is in the mind of the receiver. Right, yes. right. And it's all, it comes down to that idea of experience and what is experience. It's well-defined systems and processes that have been strategically thought out, that have been applied. And I think the key here, particularly when talking about relationships, optimization. What is working well? What could be made even better? I'm curious, as, as, as we reflect on where we've been, how did we get to this point today, Derek? If we can go back and think, what brought us to this? And, and how did these relationships begin slipping away? We'll call it slowly, but then what has that journey looked like from your world? Yeah, th I think I hit it on it earlier. It's um, community banks and you know uh, banks that were really focused on a branch network the branch was the epicenter where activity took place. And the expectation was people needed to come to us for service. Yes. And, but we also had this trick where um, you know, the only place you could deposit cash and check was at a financial institution. And so you had this natural connectedness to the market and you had people coming in and out. You were learning about new markets, new opportunities, business success, you're having conversations, you're building a personal relationship. When um, payments went digital, all that got broken. And those conversations are now taken out of the branch. Those connections are no longer made. And um, you know, the, the winners in that are those that are leading with the digital receivables. And so I think that's all the epicenter of a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a bit of an adjustment. You know, financial institutions kind of gave up on um, pushing merchant services to businesses long ago. And when you look at even traditional merchant service penetration rates inside organizations, it's not that great. And so I think we have to get back to the number one priority of a business is cash flow. As an organization, how can we get in front of cash flow? Because he or she who controls how a business gets paid ultimately is going to control the relationship. And, and that's a great point, cash flow. You mentioned before access to capital as yep. well with the story of your, your, your tattoo artist. Renee, I think about QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in QuickBooks. QuickBooks knows me. QuickBooks understands what my operations looks like, probably sometimes even better than I know myself. And then they're making offers to me to get that access to capital. Um, and I'm not getting that from, say, my traditional banking relationship. What's the opportunity to take that type of experience and then deploy it through a we'll call it an incumbent or a traditional financial brand. Is it in partnership? Is it in collaboration with FinTech? Is it something that we build internally? What are your thoughts on this here? Yeah, I think for most traditional financial brands, what we've done with small business is taken all of our commercial products and services and solutions and made them commercial light. Yes. And so that, that even goes to policies, procedures, processes, um, pricing, you name it. 
and we're trying to fit small business in a box and that doesn't really work. Mm. With this disruption, which I'll, which I'll call a beautiful disruption, what we see is a bit of an aha moment where financial brands can say, wow, can I do this? Or if I can't do it, can I partner with someone who can help me do it? I also think we struggle with our own data. And uh, I, I watched a focus group playback and, and this was a great moment where someone said, why do you ask me then on the check renewal, my last check? Right. Don't you have that information? I think we've been hesitant for some reason to use our own data to help. Um, if we have a relationship with someone, they're saying, help me. We should be listening. We should be helping them. When they're searching for something, we should offer that up. And that's where I think fintechs and financial brands can partner well together. You know, everybody can offer um, a product or a service, right? But what is that extra value? How do you infuse those memorable moments or those brand moments that differentiate you? That's where I think there's great opportunity. Today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth is brought to you by Nimbus, who believes in creating even better financial services for all. Better access, better experiences, better value, all while supporting the entire customer journey. And how do they do this? Offering end-to-end niche banking solutions that you can buy or build, providing accountability beyond the technology, and prioritizing impactful, intentional innovation instead of chasing features. Ready to transform what is and create what's next? Learn more at Nimbus.com. I want to talk about that opportunity even further because when you think about that relationship between financial brands, fintech, small business, one of the discussion points that we've had before is empowering a small business to maximize their growth capability because a lot of times as a small business owner, your head's down, you're focused on the business. It's very hard to look towards the future. When you think about that relationship and, 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 and you're building the future now with locality, what are the opportunities to, to, to educate, not financially, but we'll just call it more just business advisory for small business? Yeah, I think the opportunity is huge. And as, as Renee was pointing out, is the fact that you know, banks really are not using the data in the way they should, right? right? And so we were just having a conversation with the regulators the other day, and then we had this discussion about the use of data and how much data we could potentially have, and is that a risk? And I said, no, absolutely not. We're, we're taking the same amount of data that any other financial institution would if they just go apply for a loan. We're just making that data actionable which is very different, right? So most banks will go look at data and they want to have all the data and maybe they'll even go work with a company to cleanse and categorize that data and they'll present it to the executive board or the, the actual board members and say, hey, look, this is what our customers look like. Okay, but what do I do with that, right? And that's the problem is it, we have the data, we understand the markets and we try to ha- break this analysis as opposed to take this data, make it actionable and bring it back into an insightful dashboard for the customer, insightful dashboard for the banker so that both sides understand where along that financial journey the customer is. Right? So the way we look at it is can we take the data, can we put it in front of the customer, allow them to understand cash flow better, allow them to understand the ebbs and flows of their business and then inject that you know, education component as well, where we're that true advisor, that guide to the customer to say, okay, well, at this point, we think that you'd be prime to get a loan or maybe access to, uh, you know, some additional funds because your business is in the top 5%, you're ripe for growth, right? Maybe they don't know that. Maybe they're questioning that. Or maybe they do, but they just don't know to go ask for the loan or they're scared to go ask for the loan because there's also that component. 
And so for us, it's, it's how do you combine the partnerships with the fintechs? How do you combine the data that you have with the you know, front user interface, right. right? But it starts with actually building the architecture and the infrastructure on the backside to make sure you can deliver on that. I think you're hitting on something that's very back to this point here of human. You mentioned fear. Fear of getting the loan, fear of even applying the loan, so therefore I don't do anything and I continue to struggle. What's the opportunity for financial brands and fintech to collaborate to eliminate those fears, do you yeah. think, Derek? Well, I think it comes down to financial institutions making a decision around what they want to be really good at, what yes. they want to own, and what they want to partner on. And I think the best organizations I've seen, they clearly signal and say, hey, we expect this vendor to come in and own this portion of our business. So you own the front end user interface, you own data analytics, you own customer acquisition, and you help basically uh, help us better serve our customer base. We've got everything from there, the compliance, the security, the personal relationship, but uh, you know, just partner with us, go do your thing well, FinTech, right. in support of us and in support of our customer needs. I think that's the model moving forward. You know, community banks are, and, and banks in general are a bit stretched with having to kind of be all things to all people. Yeah. Um, and I think we're probably gonna move into a world where it's a bit more vertical and we're gonna rely upon FinTech vendors to help us service those vertical niches that we care most about. So Corey, before you mentioned this idea of fear as a small business owner, the fear of applying for a loan because of the fear of rejection, of getting approved for that loan, but fear is also something that we internally at a financial brand, we have to manage because change is hard, change is scary, change is sometimes painful. I'm curious, what is your experience of just managing change personally? How are you dealing with this as you're starting up locality? And then what has that experience been historically for you as well? Yeah, so that was one of the primary conversations we had when we started building a team. You know, we, we had this founders group and we were all pretty much on the same page. We knew exactly what we wanted to do. We understood that there was going to be hurdles, there was going to be difficulties, there was going to be things that we thought we were going to do that we then inevitably change, mm -hmm. right? But as you start to bring more people on, how do you make sure that they understand the necessity of change right, right. over time? That iteration is going to be key for our business, right? That day one product is not going to be the best version of the product we're going to have. That you know, 90 day product isn't going to be the best version of the product we're going to have. It's going to continue to get better if we iterate. And so the first thing we realize is we have to de-risk failure, right? The, this, this concept of if I'm wrong, if I go select this vendor, I go sign this contract, I make this change, I execute on this loan, and it doesn't work, yeah. then my job's at risk, you know, or, or someone's gonna get upset, or I'm the weak link of the, of the group. And the first thing we said was, let's sit down with the entire group of people that we have, let's get every single employee, let's go through a culture day. Like, let's go sit down, let's look at all of our behavioral uh, statistics, everything, so we did all the exams and everything, and then started having a conversation based on everyone's personalities and said, okay, look, this is what we're going to expect of you. But we also expect you to challenge what we do. We expect you to challenge everything that you're doing. And just understand that there's no way we're going to give you a leash yeah. that is ultimately going to hurt you, right? You have all the ability to go be successful and none of the ability to really fail. And failure is the fertile seeds from which new growth springs anew. I think as the older that we get, we get conditioned to fear failure. Because if you think about as a kindergartner, as a first grader, as a second grader, we're still learning, we're still exploring. And 
the future is bright, but then we go through and we get a bad grade on a test and then you're like, oh, there's something wrong. You're talking a lot about culture here and empathy internally and supporting and getting really clear of what the future you're looking to build as an organization and then supporting one another. Let's come over to the incumbent side, Renee. We're at a large organization. That's a big ship to turn. And if you're going to collaborate with FinTech, FinTech naturally operates differently. They're operating from a sense of optimization, 90-day sprints, if you right. will. How do you transform that cultural conversation at an incumbent who has 100, 125 years of, of legacy behind them. What, what, what do we do there? Yeah, I, I have a mantra, progress, not perfection. I mean, I'm one of those, right? I strive to be perfect. And I think adopting an agile growth mindset is really important. Consider yourself a scientist. Test a theory, test a hypothesis. If you fail, fail fast. And hopefully fail a lot. I mean, that's yeah. part of the learning. And understand that when we need to get something out to market, it can't be perfect. And it will never be perfect. Yes. So what is it? What's that minimum viable product that we need to get out? How do we test it to ensure that it's meeting the needs of our customers? And how is that translating into us for business? So again, I just think um, people are the most important part of this, and it is a cultural shift, and so therefore you really need to help them along that journey. A couple thoughts on that. When you mentioned progress, progress is greater than perfection because as you look ahead towards the future, it is so easy to get overwhelmed at all of these things that we have to do. It's the impossible mountain that we have to climb. And when you look at that mountain, you begin to question, what's the point? But when you look at behind from where you've come from, that builds your courage, that builds your momentum, that builds your confidence to continue to commit. I wanna come back to the point here about focus because it does take courage to focus. And what is courage? Courage is doing the right thing, not in the absence of fear, but facing fear itself and continuing forward. One of the things that you had noted before was you can look at a financial brand website, look at their navigation menu. Talk to me about some of the complexities. I'm a small business owner, I'm navigating this. I see all of these options, all of this choice, but then I go look at say a Square or a PayPal, it's much more simplified. Yeah, you're gonna need to give me a couple of minutes because this one, this one may take a minute. So the um, I, just do that, right? So have your cold shower moment with your employees and say in your board and say, hey, would you go to our website and tell me where I can find the solution? Just give them that little challenge, right? Navigate down on the menu. You see this whole portfolio of products and services, and say, put yourself in the small business owner's shoes, the consumer's shoes. Um, I want you to go sign up for this service. Open an account with us use this product or service, but I don't think enough financial institutions have their employees do that, use their own banking products. Shut off access and core to balances and make them use the mobile banking app. Does anybody in our institution um, have a small business on the side? Sign up for this product, use this service, educate our team about it. Make your senior executives go into the lobby and talk to people regularly. When they come in, hey, what are you challenged with? What are you faced with? Which banking products are you using? What's wrong with them? What's broken? The analogy I, I give financial institutions quite um, regularly is 
you would never leave um, impediments in your physical branch lobby to get in the door right. or to get access to service or to sign up for a product or service, yet your digital solution is littered with them, literally littered with them. You go to a fintech solution and they have the ability to focus in and they can just say, we're, going to hear, we're here to solve this one problem, we're going to do it really, really well. And I think financial institutions, and this is a cultural thing, um, the mountain to climb oftentimes is an RFP. Yeah. Because the RFP is basically, it's a history book of all the things we did in the past that vendors have to first satisfy before we can move forward. Yes. It's broken. And so instead, a financial institution should say, hey, I care about small business, this is a priority. I've met with customers, we know what their pain points are. This is the experience we wanna create if you're a vendor, if you can come in and help us solve this thing, that's our highest priority. Here's our prototype. That's what an RFP should be. And then if you could do these other things, great. But if not, we're going to leave the legacy in the past. And if that makes 5% of our customers unhappy, then that's the challenge. You have to let them go. Yes. You can't maintain the past if you want to build the future. Right. Well, that's yeah. a good point, too. And so as we were talking, right, you were saying, like, how do you go to the speed of the fintech or get the bank to ramp up the way that they look at things. Banks never look at things at this singular outcome perspective, right? They, they want to look at this in the totality of the business and they're month by month, quarter by quarter. And instead of looking at, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What sure. is this singular outcome that we can then communicate internally to our employees? So everyone understands, look, if we all know what we have to do, it's a lot easier to start to figure out how do we do it, right? Yeah. It's completely frustrating as a fintech, or I, I, you know, I worked in core banking technology and di digital banking, and you go through this process and you have this long drawn out conversation about these three or four features, and then you ask the question, how many people use this? Right. Right. We don't know, but it, we've always had it. Yeah. Is it yeah. that important? Yeah. And that's a great point because you talked about you know, asking your board, asking your senior leadership team, go find this on the website go through that shopping experience. I can tell you 85 to 92% of financial brands have never right. secret shopped their website. And when we conduct studies against say an incumbent versus a FinTech, the FinTech traditionally scores higher because of the simplicity. They're not overwhelming. There's just enough to, yeah. to move them, to nudge them in the right direction. So. You're starting a new bank, and it's not every day that we get to start a bank, which is a big undertaking. What are the big lessons that you're learning? Because you're applying a lot of this thinking. You're focused on a niche. You're working towards a bigger purpose. You're communicating that purpose internally as a North Star, so as an organization. Everyone knows where you're going and growing together. You're leaving the past behind to create something new. What have been the big lessons that you've learned through this experience? Yeah, I think one of the big keys for us is understanding how easy it is to go back to comfortable, right? And so we yes. start talking about first principle concepts and we're saying, hey, we're gonna build this thing from scratch, right? What's ideal, all right? We look at deposits, what's ideal? We look at cash flow management, what's ideal, right? So on and so forth. But then we get to certain areas and we, we hit a roadblock. We hit something that's tough and everyone's like, well, let's just go pull this other platform. We know we've used this before. It's going to be, it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not really what we're out setting out to do, right? Is right. So this ability for us to create that efficiency, this better customer experience is we're going to have to get through those things. And so it's making sure that every single day that we are challenging ourselves, right? That we're, we're not letting those temptations to go back to these other ways of doing things because that's how they were done. 
and then making sure that everything that we're doing moving forward is to this specific, again, that outcome, that singular outcome. And so for us, it's to, to allow local businesses to maximize their potential. Yeah. So if anything that we do doesn't do that, right? If we go back to a traditional loan process because we know we can get through the loan processing, the credit analysis, the underwriting, and we go back to that, but it didn't create any kind of value for that local business to maximize their potential, then we didn't do what we said we were gonna do, mm-hmm. right? And so that's important for us. And, and that's one of the things I've learned is even with a bunch of people who, I mean, think about it. Everybody who joined our team literally jumped off a cliff into this opportunity to like, to your point, you don't start a bank every day. Right. And then we're still, you know, making sure that, or, or having that difficulty, right? And so I could only, you know, it just, exacerbates what it was in these larger institutions. What, and I think that's a good point to make because accountability. Accountability so that we don't fall back on old patterns. We don't fall back on old belief systems. What is a great way, particularly at a, an incumbent, you got a lot of legacy, you got a lot of history, how can you hold each other accountable so that you don't fall back and continue forward to make to put progress, make progress greater than perfection. Right, Uh, Corey hit on it. You have to have a plan and you have to have that North Star. And in my experience, it's put the client in the center of everything that we do. And you go back and you test it. Is that helping the, the client? And we also need to rethink how we institute change within our organizations. Typically, we have those business leaders help us with that process. But what I found in my experience, they just rebuild the same widget. the same process so we have to stop that and if we're truly wanting to put the client in the center then we have to look at experience first and we have to rely on the experts for what's needed through the process but we have to reimagine we have to think differently and we have to document that stick to your plan adapt as required and look for ways to be daring different and smart to meet the client how when and where they want to be met i like that put people at the center of all of your thinking put people at the center of all of your doing and i see fintech has done that more from an operational standpoint human-centered design if you will jobs to be done derek i'm curious what is a commonly held belief on the relationship between financial brands and fintech that others in the industry have but you just disagree with yeah that that's a long list probably i'll (laughs) i'll I'll hit on this one that um i think we rest on our laurels a little bit too much around people want to connect with people and people want personal service i think that's true when they're in a moment of need potentially but actually people just want stuff to work Mm -hmm. you know and they want to know that it's built for them and it's going to solve their problem and so when you, there's, here's, a, here's a very stark contrast. Go to Square's website and look at the way they literally, their design, put the business owner at the center of everything they do. It's business owner spaces. It's them in action. It's, 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 it's spoken to them in the workflow of the business owner. Are you here to collect money? Are you here to pay your people? Are you, you know, building for the future? Go to a bank's website on small business checking, and you know what it is? What product do you want? It's transactional, (laughs) right? And so you say, as financial institutions, we say that we want a personal um, connection with business owners, but yet all we do is speak in transactions. Mm -hmm. Small business checking is, okay, you're going to pay this dollar per month. You can do this many transactions. We're going to charge you these fees for these types of transactions. If you want to waive those fees, 
um, do these things, do these transactions, that's small business checking. It's broken. It's, it doesn't have the customer in the center of that at all. It's thinking from the inside out. It's saying this is our account analysis routine. This is how we set up small business checking. Therefore, that's how we're going to relate it to our customer base. And that's a great point because when you look at this idea of the transaction, it's very cold. It's not very human. It's not even personal. It's just an exchange. But when you begin to think about putting the transformation of people, the transformation of small businesses over the transaction, that's where the real value creation comes and that can come from collaborating. Collaborating financial brands and fintech instead of competing. Renee, I'm curious, how can we transform that conversation internally? A lot of conversations that we might have with ourselves that we, Fintech is the competition. No, fintech is the collaborator. It is the who to our how. Right, so uh, I have been a part of a lot of focus groups. And it was really interesting for me um, last year going through, we're trying to maximize the small business journey. And um, an another aha moment, we had a small business owner say, know me, know all of me, hmm. know who I am as a person. I think we, as a traditional financial brands, get very used to uh, separation of church and state when it comes to commercial, right? Business owner, and we don't talk personal business. Yes. But small business, it's inextricably linked. Yes. And this person said, I'm an entrepreneur. This isn't the only idea I have. You've never even asked me. Wow. So power. So when I think about the opportunity with FinTech and traditional financial brands, how do we leverage that, right? How do we maximize that? How do we leverage the technology and the tools and the resources so when we're having those human-to-human -human moments, yes. we can make them matter? Yes. Um, and then I have my own internal focus group with my two digital natives. And uh, my 13-year-old my entrepreneur Very said to me recently, he's a Bitcoin miner and started his own business, I will never need a bank. How did that make you feel? Whoa, <laughs> it didn't make me feel very good. And yeah. so I started asking questions. He's savvy, right? And so he's got this figured out. I'm gonna go where I need to go to get what I need done. Right. And I think that's key because he's empowered, yeah. he's in control, he can Google, he can find what he needs, and that has transformed that relationship once again. I, I'm curious, as we look ahead towards the future, and all change, all progress, begins with a small, simple step. It doesn't have to be this massive transformation. A lot of times when you think about massive transformation, it's one of the reasons that 60 to 85% of digital transformation initiatives fell in the first place because there's not the clarity of why we're doing this. That begins the pushback internally of, of don't move my cheese. Um, I'm comfortable where I've been. For those listening and watching, and I'd like to get an opinion from all of you on this. What would be that key recommendation, that small step, that small start to begin to make progress going forward? You're going through this. Yeah. Corey, let's start with you. What's that one small thing that they can do? Yeah, I think it is accountability, right? Is is creating that accountability inside the organization so that they understand that ownership of a department, right, isn't just ownership, right? It's not a possessional thing, right? It's yep. accountability to that thing. And for, for me, I think the recommendation I have is 
the discussion that needs to be happening inside the organizations is how do we start to change the infrastructure and the architecture of the organization as well as the technology stacks mm -hmm. to support this idea that we're going to have constant change. We're going to have all these things that's going to come out. We're going to have a version of the product that's an MVP that's going to be iterated on. And so when we were starting out, we were kind of met with a dilemma of, all right, if we're going to go in this modern direction and we want to go build this modern infrastructure and architecture, our core banking solution couldn't also be this very static, hardened system that is still gradually modernizing, right? It needed to be something that was more flexible. So when we started looking at all the vendors, we were like, oh, this is very scary, right? Because mm -hmm. not all of them have a lot of proven points. And we were, we were challenged with, do we then just go sign back with this traditional you know, core system and, and just get rolling? And we're like, no, we can't, right? We've got to make sure we build that architecture infrastructure properly. And so when we wor started working with Nimbus, it was like this light bulb, right? We started working with their engineers. We started working with their marketing teams. We started working with their product teams on what this evolution is going to be. And I know we've talked about this. The version of the product that we had in mind when we went into day one has gotten tremendously better through those conversations, those collaborations. But the ability for us to be able to execute on that is key. That's a great point, and Renee, I'd like to come back to you as well, to you, Derek, on that, of getting that outside objective perspective, because it's so easy to get trapped in the bottle. You can't see anything outside. You only know what you know, and I hear that a lot of times from financial brand leaders. Well, we just don't know this, or we don't know that, and I've said no hard feelings. That's why training, that's why education is so critical to future growth. How can we get that external accountability, that external guidance, and what does that play? What does that look like, Renee? I think uh, financial brands have to start thinking more like a brand yes. and less about I'm a bank and this is the way I've always done it and be open to that. I think we see that there's more adoption of digital roles coming in, um, but we have to be willing to have crucial conversations and we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when we have those conversations, it's business, not personal. It's not about the ownership and the way we've always done things. Um, operations or IT doesn't drive the bus. It's the client, you know, yes. and how do we make that? How do we maximize that? Because if we help small business be successful, we will be successful. Absolutely, absolutely. And you talk about small business being successful, financial brands being successful. Derek, I want to come back to you. Mm -hmm. What would be that small step recommendation sure. that you would make for someone looking to make progress on this journey yeah. of growth here? Uh, we have a phrase or a saying at AutoBooks, proximity creates empathy. So go talk to your business customers. Yes. Go walk in their shoes. Go find out their challenges. Don't be overly prescriptive. It doesn't have to be um, a scripted conversation. It could be very casual. And just ask them about their business. How do you get paid? Mm -hmm. Like, what are your, what are your growth needs? Um, reach out then and say to your employees and staff and start to train them on what the competition really looks like. Right. Call into your organization and say, hey, I'm a business owner. I've just got started. I need to accept payments from my customers. How can you help me? and see what your employees say, you'd be shocked at the referrals that they give to the new competition, quite frankly. Um, look at a little bit of your data. Pull a sample of a thousand small business owners and see how many incoming deposits are coming from third-party solutions. And then lastly, uh, have your team download and use those third-party solutions and understand what you need to be if you really want to compete in that market. I think if you do those things, you'll quickly see that things have to change and then it's going to be up to you. Do you want to build a plan and execute upon that? 
or are you willing to abdicate or you know um, basically allow those third parties to kind of win the day with the business owner? I can't help but think as you're talking through those recommendations, you talk about going out and just talking, having a conversation. When was the last time that you were listening, thinking, having these discussions with small business owners, that's a key takeaway right here. So as you're talking through those ideas, I can't help but think about the opportunities to start a podcast. That's a great way to just get in and have these conversations, to listen, to learn, to document, because now it becomes a collaborative endeavor between a financial brand and the small businesses within the communities that they serve. Renee, I want to come and end with you. Key insight, key recommendation, something small that someone can apply to begin to make progress going forward here. Growth mindset. Be open to change. Be open and willing to listen. We can do hard things. As Renee said, this is the conversation that we have to have And there's no better time to have this conversation than now. So as you continue to move forward along your digital growth journey, continue to develop and maintain a growth mindset. Look at things through an empathetic eye as you put people at the center of all of your thinking and all of your doing. And most importantly, be sure that you create space and time to go all in on small business as you commit to always ask good questions listen to their answers, and learn from observation. Don't forget, you can always hop over to nimbus.com forward slash SMB Fireside to subscribe and unlock access to the other conversations in this series focused on empowering and elevating small to mid-sized businesses while sharing the videos with a friend or colleague you think might find value in the insights that you've gained today. Until next time, and as always, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, brought to you by Nimbus, who is on a mission to bring the people, process, and technology together to create new routes to growth for financial brands and enable them to deliver outcomes. To learn more about how you can collaborate with Nimbus to maximize your future digital growth potential, visit www.nimbus.com. Until next time, be well and do good.